welcome to Creating in Color, sharing the creative endeavors of people of color. I'm your host, KB, and today I am joined with Nicole Rolla, an animatic editor whose past projects include Voltron, Legendary Defender, Boss Baby, Back in Business, Archibald's Next Big Thing, and the show based on the popular indie video game, Cuphead. How are you today, Nicole? I'm doing so good. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you as well. You're an animatic editor. Do you mind going into detail on what that position is? Yeah. An animatic editor is actually something I learned about when I was an intern in a studio. Because it's not it's not actually um, broadcasted very well. But it is the person who cuts together the animatic... Like, so animatic editing is the person who puts together the boards and times it out and puts temporary sound effects and music to basically make a roadmap for the animation people to create the timing and the acting and the whole like combination of all of the different pieces of animation the animation pipeline oh interesting yeah that makes sense um for anyone who might be listening, what exactly is an animatic, though? It's said and done, and then the board artists draw the boards, and an animatic is kind of like the a movie file of seeing the boards move with picked with a uh, move with sound and timing. So you hit play, and it's basically like you're watching a cartoon, but it's in black and white typically. And it's just the main poses of what you're going to see happening. Oh, that's so cool. So it's like pre-animation, but after storyboard. Yes. That's so cool. Is there anything like this in live action? Do you know? I'm not sure whether that's just the editor's job to do the animatic as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because obviously, after uh, shooting all the footage in live action, there will be an editor. Mm -hmm. And in that sense you're taking a bunch of clips from all different angles and putting it together to make the story. Whereas in animation, you're a little bit more straightforward because Mm -hmm. the shots are basically chosen and drawn already. Very interesting. And there are editors that take the animation after it's, well, animated and then paste it together. Is there any big difference between... An animatic editor and that kind of editor? Um, yeah, what you're talking about is a post editor. For when post editors, they edit the animation that comes back that is in color and it's completely fluid and moving and it's basically the stuff you see on TV or your laptop. They, they have to deal with almost kind of like a live action editor. Whatever is there on the screen is there and the timing is a little bit finished there are instances where you know you can speed things up but you're confined to how it's gonna look and post editors definitely deal with retakes which is in animation let's say the showrunner doesn't like a certain blink or a way someone's driving a car they'll say hey can you reanimate this and do it again then they'll have to uh replace that footage once it's redone and retake How often would you say a retake would happen after animation is started? I would say it really depends on the director or the showrunner. And also with the uh, animation studio, if they, you know, get it right the first time. If 
production's notes are clear. There's a lot of factors that go into, you know, the efficiency of an animation pipeline or show. And it also varies from each episode. One episode could be a home run and everything is fine. And another one could be like a train wreck and there's tons of retakes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure it's situational. Hopefully it doesn't happen too often. Yeah, yeah. Because every retake is definitely a a money thing, especially in TV. You know, time is money and retakes cost money and you only have a certain amount when you're making cartoons. So you have to stay within your budget. As an animatic editor, what does your daily routine look like? Coming in at 11. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So editors, in animation at least... I mean, I think all editors, they get their own office and it's everyone walks in and it's really nice. But honestly, you just sit at the you just sit at the computer and and edit all day. But um, yeah, so typically you'll see a couch and a TV and you'll edit on your computer and then it's displayed on the TV and they'll watch it and give notes and say, hold this longer, make this shorter. And, you know, you just have to cut on the fly. I would say it's kind of like a performance and um, you get boards and you cut that in. You uh, typically have a sound effects library so that you can pick and choose what punches or swishes or, you know, any kind of sound you want the animatic to have to be in there. And then you put, um, and also you put in dialogue. You get typically on a board driven show, which I'm on, you get scratch and you put it to the acting on a script driven show you get the voice actors acting and you cut it to the boards but then yeah you're so all day you're just cutting and cutting and trying to make this thing play and then playing it for others interesting what exactly is scratch and what does it mean for a show to be board driven or script driven very good question sorry i went into that oh um scratch is basically voice recording that is done in-house in pre-production that isn't the final voice actor so for example on archibald's next big thing tony hale voices archibald but say we need to write a line where he says like i'm gone fishing or whatever and (laughs) and he's not around to like you know record it because we just made it up on the spot and it needs to be in there so we'll pull in whomever who wants to like say this line into a microphone and then I'll put it in the Matematic and that's Scratch. Compared to board-driven and script-driven, how would you describe the two? Crew, like made up with staff writers and a story editor who work with the showrunner to craft these, I would say, nailed-down scripts. And then the board artists are beholden to those scripts and basically just put um, visuals to what's on the paper. Um, in a board-driven show, it's it's kind of a little bit looser, where there's maybe one writer who writes a loose outline of like, this might happen, this is going to happen, and then this. But then the storyboard artist, they can really shape the the story even more. They like to change things up and... It's kind of like jazz as opposed to classical, maybe. Like something is more strict and by the book. And then the other is a little bit more wacky and like, oh, you know, it'd be funny. We should put that in there. Yeah, just put that in there. (laughs) As an editor, do you feel like you have any kind of creative note during the final process, essentially, of 
animation? In the animatic stage? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely an input from the editors. You're the first person who's going to touch what they're going to see when you hit play. So your first interpretation of the episode is going to dictate their perception of the episode itself. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like in your build, it's definitely all you for the most part. Like you're, you're definitely following the storyboard's PDF and abiding by what the storyboard artist drew. And you don't want to like cut away what they have drawn. But then with the music, with how you want this certain tone to feel music is definitely you know it just tells you how you're supposed to feel when you watch something and sound effects make that world real so that duty and that role is a pretty crucial one in selling this this product that is animation that is that is this episode and it depends on your showrunner too sometimes they'll look to you and be like what do you think as the editor or sometimes an, a showrunner will be like, this is what I think, I want this, I want that, I want this. And that's that. <laughs> so yeah, it also depends on the trust you build with your director. It's definitely, uh, it's, a, it's kind of relationship building. What are some roadblocks that you run into as an editor? Roadblocks that you, as an editor, like day to day? Any. I see. Um, sometimes certain episodes don't feel as inspirational to you like you don't connect with it and it kind of becomes like okay I have to do this one or an episode that you'll see and you're like oh this is so funny I know I have this idea for this and I have that and it's easy so with any a creative medium some like if you're if you don't feel inspired to do something mm-hmm. it, it becomes harder to do so I guess that's yeah. a it's a roadblock to feel uninspired to do something. Oh, <laughs> I feel you. So how did you get started in the animation industry? Let's see. Where do I begin? Cartoons have always been one of the things in my life that's always there mm-hmm. since like childhood. You know, I kept uh, I kept cartoons around even when. My parents were like, you should be watching the news. Like, why are you? And my sister started watching like MTV Cribs or pregnant 16 year old person or something. (laughs) Like I was still watching SpongeBob and Angry Beavers or whatever Avatar. I went to school for animation so I could do that for a living. And I actually studied to try to be a board artist because I want yeah I wanted to you know make people laugh and draw stuff that would be funny just like Spongebob kind of like inspired me to be a positive person and always look at the bright side of things and all that but I realized that I didn't want to draw for a living like (laughs) it's it's it takes a certain type of person to be a board artist and here I was as a PA, like st- stapling papers and stuff. And I thought, like, did I just waste four years of art school? And then I realized that I can be an editorial. Like this thing that I found as an intern, which I had no idea existed because in school we had designers and then we had storyboard artists. And that's it. Was a job. Like I actually had done it in school when we were making the films 
when it came time to put the boards together and put the animation together and composite and learned whatever I had to learn to like put things together and put sound effects on it and I didn't realize that that was animatic editing already mm. yeah so it's kind of like I found it by accident and it it was so cool because it's kind of like the final stretch of everyone's hard work designers they're incredible they're like crazy design language like it's beautiful stuff and then board artists it's so crazy too they like all of the motion they have to convey in in like line and and then that all comes together with picture and sound and motion and that's so exciting like animation is basically that and it just feels so rewarding to be in that position so yeah and then so yeah i just like uh I befriended all the animatic assist, the assistant animatic editors at DreamWorks, and they they gave me boards that I would uh, practice on, and I'd be like, okay, here this is what I did. And they'd be like, oh, do this for that, and do this for that, and I'm like, okay, okay. I kept learning, I kept learning, and eventually one of the editors was like, I want you to be my assistant, and I'm like, sweet. And then my boss at the time was like, okay, you know what? I want you to follow your dreams, but I don't want to lose you as an as a, an employee. So be an assistant, but on my other show. <laughs> so so I never got to be that person's assistant editor, but I became an assistant editor. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Editors can be cloistered people, just who want to stay in their offices and shut the door. But yeah, which is fine. That's totally acceptable. For people whatever makes them happy but i was constantly like leaving my office and like saying like hey what's up and like let's all do this let's all do this after work blah 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 so yeah anyone anyone could be an, an animatic editor <laughs> <laughs> what support or resources do you recommend for someone trying to break in hmm i would say i can only speak from my experience which is internships if you can get an internship so you can get firsthand experience in the studio that'd be priceless. And from there, I took a production job. A lot of people might hesitate from taking a production job, but I'd say it's incredibly helpful. Like if if you want to even be a showrunner at the end of the day, being in production can only help you if you understand like every single thing that's going on in this ship that's trying to move production is the conveyor belt that gets the things from a to b so being in that position of seeing all of the different departments definitely helps you see what you need to learn the internet the internet is a crazy resource for freaking anything anything in the world like i taught myself macrame over this like quarantine times because of the internet like i i learned how to make alfredo sauce from scratch like whoa yeah the internet is is a is an abundant resource that can help you find anything if you wanted to hard enough and there's tons of podcasts just like this one that kind of help um people trying to break into the animation industry just see all the different types of stories that people had to go through to get in one of them is called the animation network which um if you just google that it's the animation network.org and they have a podcast and it's tons of different people from at different walks of life just also explaining their the way they got in. And I think that's a really good source for people who have no idea what's happening. Also, 
on YouTube, my fiance, Ethan Becker, he makes YouTube videos that kind of explain how to become a board artist or a designer. Like he, he does crazy, insane videos and they're definitely a, a genre. But yeah, YouTube too. There's tons of videos on YouTube. But maybe, I don't know, maybe not enough for about animatic editing. Mm, maybe someone can start a channel about animatic editing. I know. I've been, I've been thinking about that. Well, you'll have to let us know when that happens. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel in order to be successful in the animation industry, you need to be an artist? Crazy fans of making cartoons and being collaborative are working in the industry and don't draw. There's a lot of, you know, writers in animation that love it and they write it depends on your definition of artist because to me, honestly, if you are creative, you are an artist. It's like we're all artists if we're making something. So if the question is whether you have to draw, then no. But if you are creative, then yes, <laughs> it's important. <laughs> it's a lovely answer. Thank you. So what was your upbringing like? Well, I'd say... My upbringing was pretty happy. I was surrounded by a lot of funny people. Like my cousins were always making me laugh. My dad was really funny. My mom's pretty funny. My sister's super funny. And that really um, shaped what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, making people laugh in that way. And my upbringing, I would say, was pretty strict. My parents moved here from the Philippines and weren't from around here so they didn't really raise me like my friends that I went to school with so there were a lot of differences but I you know I'm not I'm not the only um, first generation person that I know so I grew up with a lot of people who did understand what I was going through I wasn't like allowed outside I couldn't go ride bikes with my neighbor even at like 18 yeah it was very very strict my pa had a very protective and so that definitely led to me trying to discover a lot of things that are part of the world kind of like later in life and as opposed to you know when I guess people typically do it in high school I guess I don't know <laughs> but yeah anyone who's Filipino American will understand and know that like parents or like any immigrant family will know you know it's it's hard to do certain things that are okay or totally fine for other families Ethan and I talk about it a lot that like adulting adulthood is basically trying to find everything you didn't get as a kid like growing up i i don't know i don't know if i got enough praise that i am okay with who i am so then now i like have low self-esteem or like question everything i do but but ethan he was like yeah every everyone just always supported me and i felt like totally okay with whatever I did and now I feel confident and try things without fear and here I am like I don't want to do something if I'm not going to be the best at it yeah like mm -hmm. psychology man it's all of like how you were raised like all of our shit came from how our parents treated us <laughs> oh my god I know sorry I got deep I would say also to go back to your last question of resources just watching media intaking media like mm. just learning of like people who are artists they look at art they uh see other paintings 
when you're cutting something scary, go back to all of those scary movies you watched. And what did they do with the sound, with the cutting? Would you say that's the best way to develop a understanding of what it means to be an editor? Because you mentioned like the language of cut. Is that how like you could start picking up on how other editors pace things and whatnot? Definitely, definitely watching more media will only help you learn how to edit more. I would say the number one thing you want to ask yourself whenever you make a decision is how is this helping the idea I want the audience to think or feel? Like even with drawing, every decision you make is going to tell an idea. If it's not going to support your idea, don't do that. So for example, if in this moment, in this episode, I want you to think, I'm scared, I'm going to cut and put music in a way that makes you scared. You're not going to put like birds tweeting during a, a rainstorm if that's not what's happening, you know? So yeah, I would say just watching stuff and really feeling what's happening in the picture you're, you're looking at. Because you also have to feel what's happening in this fight or in this conversation or even this opening shot of people just like having fun and being happy. Like you almost have to feel it too so that you can convey it to someone else. Which is totally the same with drawing as well. Like with editing. Like feeling the emotions and feeling the ideas too will help you imitate life. We're basically imitating life. When I was taking a life drawing class years ago, uh, the instructor told me to feel the form. Just (laughs) feel it. And I did not know what he was talking about whatsoever. I cannot go up and feel this live (laughs) nude model because that would be terrible for both of us. Mm -hmm. So he would dramatically drop and draw a line with charcoal so then when he handed me back my charcoal i imitated exactly how he did it and he shook his head at me and walked away but i feel like once you start to actually like think of like what is behind that line rather than what the line is that's when you actually get the feeling of that line (laughs) totally totally i'm nodding this whole time that kb is talking (laughs) Um, uh, KB and I actually took the same voice acting class and we did. that is a, like a number one, number one, uh, lesson that you have to do for voice acting is really feel in that emotion in that character. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like once I started really taking acting classes, that's when I started understanding more of a character's mindset instead of just looking at them as this like archetype. So you mentioned how you notice how different you versus your fiance move through the world and you feel unsure and back down. Are you still noticing those same kind of troubles or are you finding a way to navigate through them? It's a process, you know, like even Ethan says, progress not perfection and i've definitely been into bullet journaling i've definitely gotten into that this year which has helped me a lot you know just writing my feelings down helps me just make them exterior and manageable like i can manage 
my feelings and my thoughts and I can recognize patterns and then choose like a healthier one. So I'd say it's a process of like getting rid of my insecurities and becoming more secure in myself and loving myself and self-love and all that stuff, which is awesome. I love talking about that things. It's would you recommend bullet journaling for other people that might be struggling with their own insecurities? Absolutely. I've it, it's definitely not for everyone. And, it, that, and that's okay. There's all kinds of forms of introspection and self-awareness. There's also like meditation or just talking to a friend. I've given bullet journals or journals to my sister and my mom who I like I want to share this journey with and they haven't you know taken to it as much as I have but it it has definitely allowed me to be vulnerable enough to extend those gifts you know whereas before maybe I would have just thought okay this relationship is what it is and it's not going to change like I talked to this person once or twice and that's I guess that's fine because old thought patterns say I'm bothering that person or I shouldn't they don't care what I am about like I'm no nothing to them but those are all you know belittling yourself and not loving yourself but because I've found those resources I'm able to love myself and respect myself more and that just allows me to make those relationships better so I found really like watering your own pot definitely allows you to fill other glasses and whatnot (laughs) whatever the the adage is you gotta love yourself first so outside of bullet journaling voice acting and your future youtube channel is there anything else that you do outside of work um i uh oh i joined a climbing gym in january yeah i was like crushing v1s and zeros before this whole quarantine hit for those of you who don't climb they go up to like 10 so ones and zeros aren't baby stuff (laughs) so i've been crushing the bunny slopes on those climbing things um yeah (laughs) i'm losing all of my calluses that's a good thing though no like i mean when I go back, my hands are going to be so soft and not grippy, and I'm going to have to... Start all over? Yeah. They'll come back stronger. Hopefully. <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, I don't know. Like, anything that I feel like in the time. I sew stuff. I macrame. I really like doing stuff with my hands. Last Valentine's Day, Ethan took me to, like, a wood shop class, and we made mugs out of wood. I always wanted to be a carpenter. Wow, that's pretty cool. They work. Oh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> they hold liquid and everything. Wow. Nicole. Yes, KB. You're a supporter of representation. Yes. Do you mind going more into detail as to why you feel representation is important and how we can see more of it? Oh, so important. Very important. Really good question. I was actually just at a a book club, a virtual book club, where we talked about representation and how, like, the people who put on the book club was music producers and female music producers and that you don't see female music producers. So it's, like, kind of hard to access that. So basically, if you see if you see yourself in media, you can do that, those things. If you see yourself doing it, you can do it. 
and when there isn't representation you build this this like void of like what are my opportunities when i was growing up even feeling beautiful feeling like my own body was good and enough was a struggle because you don't see i mean now it's definitely changing but you know there's definitely a specific body type that is the paradigm and a specific standard of beauty that is unattainable for anyone who's not like a white blonde lady mm-hmm. <laughs> so i definitely struggled with like feeling that i'm not enough just because i wasn't on tv like people who weren't like me were on- represented because representation in media it's you are allowed you are invited to the party you can sit at the table when you're not it feels like you're not and and that creates ripples in people's perceptions of themselves and then thus their contribution to society so it's important it's super important for representation just because (laughs) it's old man like it's so old all this all these opinions and styles of stories i'm we're so tired of like seeing the same story again and again be even because of the lack of representation that story in itself is is such an interesting change to what we've been fed all the time and then also at some point we want to be able to just say a story without having to explain or be you know what's the word like burdened with that inequity you know what i mean it's almost like you you don't want to fail because you're already at this level that people expect you to be that makes it harder on yourself you start to be harder on yourself for failing like if i fail then the next asian female who wants to be an editor can't like which is a crazy pressure to put on yourself um that someone may not someone who's a little bit more accepted in society don't have to think about these kinds of thoughts at all ever yeah one day i feel like it'll be there but i don't know it's it's hard to say i feel like because the world was one way there's no way it'll ever go away um sam was talking about microaggressions Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, it's a subtle sexism now as opposed to outward sexism. And I mean, there's, I'm sure there's outward sexism too. There, those like tiny little things will always be there for people who have been people of color, females, you know, LGBTQ. They'll always possibly have those like insecurities of was that because of this? Was it because I'm that? What we can do, I guess, is just really be vocal about it i love talking about it because and not in like boohoo way like it sucks way it's like a necessary conversation specifically in my lane if i'm in the episode and i'm looking at the characters and most of them are male i perhaps try to be like oh can this person be a she can these things be a she Sometimes it doesn't even matter if they do turn them into she's. Like, they're insignificant. But maybe just saying the the she in an episode can just let some girl watching it feel included. Yeah. And specifically, too, I just always try to, if, like, this is a general thing, not my, my show specifically, in many shows I've been on, I, if showrunners are like stuck on a line, maybe especially for a female, I try really hard to give a line or a piece of dialogue or some 
inspiration to what they can say Mm -hmm. or maybe even steer people away from (laughs) from bad (laughs) decisions a lot of times i would say when i say to bring it up and just talk about it i think sam went into it too where sam said that some of these things these learned old archaic ways of thinking are just so ingrained in us because it's been the script for so long that it's unconscious Mm -hmm. and we have to fight that it's really hard because it's easy and natural but to move the needle you really have to be vigilant i'd say like if it weren't for my line producer who's a female our crew wouldn't be half the female crew that it is but it takes it kind of takes people people of color people women like those kinds of people in positions of power to make the decision sometimes or at least like making sure those people are thinking in those ways yeah so you just have to be vigilant all the time and just ask those questions like can they be this can they be that nice yeah because why not we, we we take up space too we're in the world we should be in the media the media should reflect the world now it's quite past time what do you feel are the next steps in your journey? Hmm. In my journey? Well, I've been talking about a lot of, like, making people laugh and all that stuff. And I've been on a lot of comedy shows. But I feel like I want to diversify in genre. I, I feel like I want to go into action or do a script-driven show. Someday, maybe go into movies you know Ooh. yeah i would definitely want to transition into working in post at least you know like touching final animation yeah that sounds fun so yeah just thinking about the next show maybe you switching it up so i got a question from someone who's interested in moving into editorial and she asked what are potential clients and studios looking for in a reel I would say in a reel, definitely be short and succinct. Don't go over two minutes. Maybe one minute and a half is like the longest you want to try to go. You want to get in and out. Because people who are hiring people, they need to get in and get out and see a lot of people. And so that doesn't give you a lot of time to put your okay work in it. So you definitely want to put your like, boom, pow, awesome work. Also, I like this is a major principle in life is contrast creates interest. So when you're making your reel, have contrast in the styles, in like the tones of the scenes you want to put in there. Because if you work on several different shows, you can put from different shows. Or if it's just the one, choose different kinds of scenes, like a slow scene versus a fast scene or a angry scene versus a sad scene. Mm-hmm. I would end on high energy, start on high energy. So like, just like a movie, it's like you're making a mini movie. You want to punch them in the face and get their attention, (laughs) slow it down maybe a little bit so that they feel something else and then bring it back up and then make them feel good when they walk out and remember your name. So I have another question. Mm -hmm. What makes a good assistant and what skills or qualities are desirable? I would say with any, any job, just... Being able to communicate clearly is huge. And being able to communicate, being able to take feedback, and proactivity. Those those three things I feel like could help you in any type of job, any job. So specifically how it applies to editing, 
I'd say communication is good because you'll tell your editor you're done or you need more work or hey I don't have this I don't have that communication is key and then open to feedback that's like if you give me your build and I say don't do this do this do this don't do this and then you give it to me and you do the same things that's a bad editor you want to listen to feedback and execute it into your next thing which is same for art same for production you know anything you want to listen to your feedback and actually do it take the notes and that's how you get better And then proactivity, I'd say, you know, someone who is thinking ahead and thinking of the person who's going to get this uh, product that you're going to give just like is such a great quality for anyone. Someone who is thinking about the other person and how, how can I make that person's life easier? You know, here are three different options for the music or I couldn't find this sound effect so I found three other sound effects that may work for you or in production I have this question and I tried to solve it but like by doing a b and c it didn't work let me know if you think you have an answer you know Mm -hmm. those are just qualities for any kind of employee nice what software would you recommend definitely premiere I honestly have pretty much just used premiere for editing There's definitely also Avid that I actually haven't touched much, but I hear it's very similar to Premiere. But most studios are using Premiere for even Post now. At least Netflix is even using Post for Premiere. Mm. Basically Premiere. I use Audition every now and then, or I use Photoshop every now and then too. (laughs) But definitely the internet is very uh, easy to find anything google like why is premiere doing this thing how do i do this in premiere a lot of it is learning on the job you know like to be expected to know every single thing about a software is insane but just being willing to be proactive in like oh i don't know how to do this thing let me google it huge you basically know everything because you can google it right So I have one last question for another person interested in moving into editorial. They ask, what is the best advice for someone looking for a gig or experience? In editing. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the best advice? Um, I would say to do it, to edit. (laughs) So when I was in production, I would ask my friends for boards and if like some board artists had old stuff that they didn't have need anymore I'd practice cutting it and same with when I was in school I would just do it get into premiere get some panels and move move cuts around actually do it the more you do it the more the faster you get and just the better you get just do it Shia LaBeouf (laughs) excellent Nicole Rolla (laughs) Now it's time for rapid questions. Oh my god, I've been waiting. (laughs) Say that or yes or no questions, and you answer as soon as possible. Are you ready? Okay. You seem super excited about this. Because I I second guess a lot, and I think I might take forever to answer these rapid fire questions. That's okay. (laughs) Burgers or tacos? Burgers. Roses or daisies? roses (laughs) circles or squares circles comedy or horror 
comedy. Okay, how about horror or drama? Horror. <laughs> horror can be funny. What about drama or sci-fi? <sighs> sci-fi. I think. <laughs> I'm like I'm like thinking about all of these genres and laughing to myself because like I definitely watch a lot of things and just laugh at the most ridiculous things. I love laughing. Damn it. Like like every movie's a, a comedy to me. Perfect. Pasta or pizza? What was it? Pasta or pizza? Pasta. Oh man, that's hard. That's hard, you, but I think you, I think sure? pasta. No, I'm not. Honestly, pizza's great. I don't know. Pizza. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be too warm or too cold? Too... Oh, fuck, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> too... I want to be too warm. Vampire or werewolf? Vampire? Question. <laughs> and finally, give me a word that starts with the letter X. Xavier. That's a name. It is a name. It is a name. It doesn't count. Xylophone. Xylophone. Too easy. Give me a different one. All right, right. Xenophobe. Okay, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you I like how you didn't accept xylophone. Thank I like that. Thank you. Thank you for not making me basic. (laughs) Of course. Anything I could do to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please keep me from my base basicness. Thank you so much, Nicole, for speaking with us today. Do you have an Instagram you'd like to share? Oh, sure. Sure. Follow me at Nicole R. Rolla. That's, I think, two R's in there. (laughs) (laughs) And I assume that we will find updates about your upcoming YouTube channel through there. Oh, yeah. Be sure. Be sure to uh, check out my close friend's story for sure. Please follow Creating in Color on Instagram and Twitter and feel free to submit any questions for upcoming guests through our social media or our email creatingincolorcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in following me, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube as maybe it's KV. Thanks to non- Nicole is doing weird faces in the camera. We are doing this interview from home but through webcam yes it's quarantine it's quarantine life it's quarantine life this is during the COVID-19 if that wasn't obvious already (laughs) thank you to Namikaze for allowing us the use of his song if you'd like to find more of his music on his SoundCloud you can go to soundcloud.com slash Namikaze n-a-m-i-k-a-z-e since Creating in Color is a new podcast, we appreciate any word of mouth or even helping push our hashtag on social media, hashtag Creating in Color cast. Before we wrap up, do you have any departing words of wisdom for everyone listening? Um, check your levels. Always check your levels, which was what I was trying to do, why, why my face was doing crazy stuff, and check that you're recording because I hope <laughs> I was recording that whole podcast, man. Like, oh, it's been two hours and... It says recording, but I'm really scared of hitting the pause button. That's fair. I'm terrified of that as well. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. This has been Creating in Color. Keep striving. Keep trying. Keep creating. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.